Hey everybody, welcome to the latest episode of Let's Talk Dubs. On today's show, we're going to hear from AJ Sims from Low Bugget Performance, also VWTurboKits.com. Uh, AJ's been in the scene for quite a while, building cost-effective turbo kits, and now he's moved into fuel injection. So there's a lot of information. It's a real long podcast, so I hope you guys are ready to listen to some good VW talk. Also, just wanted to give some updated stats. The Let's Talk Dubs podcast has been downloaded around the world. Um, the United Kingdom seems to be beating out Canada for downloads, and right on Canada's heels is Australia. So Spain is coming in on a close fifth with New Zealand sixth place and Ireland shortly behind there. France, Sweden, Virgin Islands. Um, giving you guys a little update. Belgium, Japan, South Africa, Bangladesh, the Philippines, Bulgaria, Thailand, Turkey, Germany. And we get to the third page. And that's it. So uh, we're worldwide officially. I'm pretty stoked about that. A lot of VW people worldwide enjoying the podcast. But feel free to hit us up on the website, letstalkdubs.com, and put your comments in there, send us some questions, and we'll definitely get some questions answered. Give a shout-out to where you're listening from. Tag us on Instagram. Uh, tag us on Facebook. And make sure you just keep it going. Also wanted to remind everybody again, if you're coming out to Las Vegas March 2nd for the Las Vegas VW Club March Meet, Come on out, Sunset Park, check it out. It'll be a good time. Other than that, upcoming shows that are happening soon, you've got the Octo event coming up um, February 16th this weekend. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to make it out there. I wish I could, but I can't. So say what's up to the Las Vegas people when you see them out there. That's my crew. So look forward to seeing you guys at a show soon enough. And um, April 27th will be down at the long, the Huntington Beach Pier with the buses parked on the pier out there. So we'll be getting some more podcasts out here within the next few weeks. You guys, lots of stuff in the can, good interviews coming up. Like I said, hit us up on Instagram at Let's Talk Dubs or on Facebook at Let's Talk Dubs Facebook. Uh, give some comments, some, feedbacks on the, some feedback on the podcast and let us know what you guys are thinking and uh, enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to Let's Talk Dubs. Today, our guest is going to be AJ Sims. AJ Sims out of Orange, California from Low Bugget Performance and also FitechVW.com. AJ has been on the cutting edge of fuel injection and turbocharging, uh, more for your affordable concept for some of us guys in the VW scene that are uh, having a daily driver that we want to have and we want to get it affordable. So I've been watching AJ Sims for a while uh, via internet, seen him at a few shows quite a bit, see that big monster fastback he drives all over the place and drive it to Vegas, drag race it and drive it home. Uh, so I've always piqued my interest to get an opportunity to sit down and chat with AJ. And so I'd like to welcome AJ Sims to the podcast. AJ, welcome to the podcast. We ran into each other at Buses by the Bridge. I saw you down there set up, yes. uh, showing people the Fitech VW setup, which... Yep. 
probably uh, late model bus bay window owners are probably the people that could benefit the most from fuel injection on those big yes. type four. So we had a chance to chat for a few minutes. I told you about the podcast, told you I'd like to get you on the podcast and just talk about all things VW that you're involved with. So uh, kind of how we start on the podcast is we usually get a little, a little bit to know you in respect to how you get into VW. So what's your story and how did you get into VWs? I feel like I should say, well, I like walks on the beach. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I feel like that. No, um, so growing up, um, uh, you know, everybody desires what car they're going to get, big muscle car, all that. Of course, you're dreaming without any money when you're a teenager. And me and my best friend were dreaming about cars all the time. And I ended up moving away. And then we stayed in touch. And he calls me one day. He goes, I, I got a car. I finally got a car. My parents bought me a car. And I'm like, no way. We got a car. We can go cruise now the beach. What kind of car did you get? A Volkswagen Bug. I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> wah, wah, you know, wah. Yeah, at that time, it was kind of the, I don't know, the Yugo or something. It just, it didn't spark it for me then. And then um, when I moved back to the same neighborhood, uh, started hanging out with them, we were both too young to drive. So we literally worked on that car for almost a year and a half and never got to drive it. So we fixed everything on the car before we ever even got to drive it we would start it up and back it out of the driveway and start it and go forward again <laughs> that was most we ever drove and then i ended up getting my license before him so i got to drive his car before he did which was sucked for him but uh sure enough i started falling in love with the thing and it got to a point where i had to look for one nice. and uh, i found uh at that time it was a 70 bought it off a guy was making payments as a dumb teenager does and the guy moved away and took the car Never heard from the guy again. Oh, brutal. But still, I uh, went looking for one, and I ended up finding my current race car I have now. Uh, I found pack? that. No, no, the uh, the low bucket race car. Oh, the it's drag a '68. And found that at in back of a car dealership, actually, a little used car dealership on Harbor Boulevard down in Santa Ana. And um, we were driving, saw it, and pulled over, and went and talked to the guy, and the guy's all. Yeah, the car got left here a long time ago. If you're interested, I can give you the number to the guy that owns it. Called him up, worked out a deal. I didn't even know how to drive a stick shift. And the guy goes, uh, yeah, here, here's the keys. Go ahead. Go take it for a drive. Tell me what you think. And I'm like, uh, all right. Well, the night before I read the uh, the idiot book on right. how to buy, you know, I think it was a, a Volkswagen and all the things you're supposed to check. And it had like this little list in the back there. <laughs> I wrote down each one on a piece of paper and had it folded up in my pocket so yeah. that I could check it off so I could see, you know, is, what's the car worth to me? And uh, it failed miserably on every single thing on that list. On all so, the do not, do not buy list. Yeah, and I didn't care. I wanted the car so bad. And uh, I basically taught myself how to drive that thing home in a stick shift. And I kept that car ever since. And uh, it became my race car, and I still have it to this day. So my very first Volkswagen I ever owned, technically owned, you know, yeah. and got stolen in a way, um, I still have. So, and that got my interest into the sport and into the hobby. And so how do you, so you make the transition some way, somehow, which is a story probably people want to hear. How do you go from being a, you know, casual consumer of VWs, uh, working on Volkswagen? So how do you make that transition? What, what are you doing? What, what, what makes you decide, I'm going to go work on VWs for a living? Well, so I had the car forever and I kept hopping it up and trying to make it quicker for what little knowledge I knew as a regular consumer and getting all the magazines and the books and talking to people at shows. 
And eventually I was working at a bowling alley where actually where Clyde Berg was bowling at. Oh, uh, really? Everybody knows the Bergs. Right. And of course, you know, if you're anybody in the industry, the Bergs, I mean, you're like, oh my God. Oh yeah. Berg, you know? And I always wanted to talk to him. And then one day I was having problems with the car and I could not figure it out. And I went and hit him up. Nicest guy in the world. Said, oh, here, let's go outside. Let's go look at it. Came outside, helped me with it. And uh, kind of got the thing rolling pretty good. And I needed to have something machined, he suggested. He goes, I'll bring it by the shop tomorrow and I'll, I'll fix that for you. So as I'm walking in the door at Berg, there's a sign right there. It says, basically right on the sign, looking for a, a machinist. No experience required. And... When I went in the back to hand him the parts so he can machine it, I said, hey, uh, how serious is that sign about the part where it says, no experience required? <laughs> you know, Because I don't have a lot of experience. I mean, I, I, I know from my personal experience working on my car. And he's like, all right, if you're serious, um, tell you what, uh, yeah, I'll come back uh, next week. I'll interview and everything, and we'll see. And sure enough, I did and fought for it and got the job. And it all kind of snowballed from there, basically. Nice. So, so you, you end up getting a job going from the bowling alley to being an enthusiast to getting a job at Gene Berg, which is a pretty big deal. And so how long did you end up working at Berg? What did you do while you were there? And what kind of experience did you get under your belt while you were there? Well, I've told this story before. The, uh, the, so when I got the job, uh, I got the job over the phone with them. And I go, hey, so, uh, you know, hey, uh, so what am I going to be doing there when I start work? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to be the head department. I thought he said you're going to be the head of a department at that time. <laughs> so the next day, you know, I'm supposed to show up at 8 o'clock in the morning, or I think it was 7 at that time, 7 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I roll in, and, of course, there's Mark Veckley, and there's uh, Rick, and, and there's everybody from Berg, basically, and D and everything. And they all come over to me, and they're like, um, can I help you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm supposed to start working today. Oh, okay, uh, which, where are you going to be at? I'm like, oh, I'm going to be the head of some department. Of course, this pissed off all of them because they've been there for 20, 30 years, you know? <laughs> and um, I remember this because it was not the best way to start a new job. <laughs> right, but, uh, making enemies out of the gate. They all went in the corner and they're all cussing at me, pointing at me and, you know, saying stuff about me. And then Clyde comes rolling in and they all corner him. They like gangbang over and jump in. What the heck is going on? Blah, blah. And then he comes over to me and he's kind of pissed off. And he's like, what the heck did you tell them? I said, I'm same thing you told me on the phone. I'm going to be the head of some department. He goes, no, you idiot. You're going to be in the head department. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, head. Like Volkswagen head. Okay, I get it now. Okay, uh. Yeah, so that was the, the start of that little part. But uh, luckily, I worked there for a couple of years. I think it was like two, two and a half years. Um, when I got there, unfortunately, this is right after Gene's passed. So um, we were swamped. Uh, Berg was kind of a little bit. I don't want to say lost, but they were just, Gene was a big, huge part of that company. And when he, right. unfortunately, it just, everybody just seemed like they were kind of lost. And uh, I remember when I got there, we were almost two years behind on cylinder heads. Just the orders were just backed up crazy. And when I left there, basically two and a half years later, we were two weeks behind. Oh, wow. So it kind of gives you an idea how the industry changed at that time for Berg. And we just got caught up. And I left there and went to performance technology with Fred Simpson. Uh -huh. And I've always said that, um, I learned quality at Berg, but I learned how to make horsepower with Fred. Uh, oh, really? Fred, Fred knows how to make power. Um, a lot of people don't give him some of the credit because he's kind of, I don't know, 
he seems like he's just going pulling it from the hip. Right. But it's because he's doing it for so long. So I mean, just one of the most smartest guys I have ever met when it comes to making horsepower. Sure. And every time you throw something at him, he comes back at you quick and witty. Um, I ended up then leaving there and going and working with uh, Jeff Denham at uh, Denham, what is he, Denham V-Dub Speed, I think he, he calls his shop. Yeah. And um, Jeff was awesome because he was kind of a combination of Berg and Fred, kind of a little bit of both. Right. Uh, I've always said Jeff builds the most prettiest street heads you could possibly ever acquire, uh, besides my own, of course. Right. <laughs> and then I uh, started doing stuff on the side. And my side business was kind of a conflict of interest when I was working with Jeff. And it got to a point where I kind of had to go out on my own. And yeah. Jeff and I have always remained awesome friends about this. And it wasn't like I was, you know, leaving Jeff. It got to a point where I was just so busy and I didn't want to have it interfere with Jeff. So I ended up going out on my own with the idea that I would eventually one day get a job again. Right. I didn't think it was going to last. It was still a hobby for me. You thought once so the, I, side, the side work runs out, you're going to go back to work. Exactly. And it just kind of kept going and going and materialized. And about every three, four years, I moved into a bigger building and it just keeps going. I mean, I started off with a, I was renting a spot at that time with uh, Dave Griner at Performance uh, Motoring here in Orange. And uh, I was renting the front of his shop. But then I got so busy there that it was kind of a conflict of interest with me building motors and Dave building motors operating out of the same shop, even though we're two different supposedly entities. So I ended up uh, getting a, I think at that time it was an 800 square foot shop. And that I had that for, I don't know, two, three years. And then moved out of that into a 1600 square foot. Had that for probably the same thing, two, three years. Then I moved into a 3200 square foot. And had that for, I think, four or five years. And I'm in now the one I'm in now, which is, it's actually 3,000 square foot, but it's got a better layout because it's got separate rooms. So I have yeah. a, a dyno room, a carburetor room, a turbo room, engine building room, machining room, and then also a uh, porting room, where I call the dirty room. Um, and then the back, I have uh, uh, two lifts with a work bay so we can do installs and things like that. So. Cool. So, so your shop currently right now, how many employees do you have over there? You know, I've actually tailored back or scaled back down. Um, unfortunately I had a personal thing that happened. My pops passed away last year and it made full, I don't know, kind of when drastic things happen, you kind of review your life and look, stand back and look at things. And I wanted to go back to my roots. I didn't want so many people involved in what I was doing anymore. Right. And kind of like it now because it's back on me. Uh, I want me in charge. I want me involved. Um, I want the quality to be on me basically. And I like that better. I know I've taken a cut. I know I'm, I'm not making nowhere near like we were when we had all the employees and I got up to eight employees at one time and That's I don't know. It was, it, it's, it was more of a hassle. Um, I love everybody's work for me. And there's, I always think there's going to be a six degrees of separation of who worked at low bucket because yeah. anybody and everybody seemed to work here at one time or another. Or I've helped somebody out at some point, but, um, and now that I've scaled back, it's just me and one other gentleman now, uh, James, and it's kind of neat. It's, it's kind of going back to my roots. I'm having more fun. And I have to admit the industry has changed. Um, yeah. you've seen it. It's just not the same as it was just five, 10 years ago. 
Yeah, what's a what's the biggest change that you're seeing that's affecting kind of the industry? Well, a good example would be is an average person would come into the industry. Let's say they acquired a car or they're a teenager and they got a car or something like that, and they want to build a 1600, 1641. Um, because of that, they would build that and then maybe a 1776 and whatever, 2110, 2387, whatever. And they, they do these steps. And because of that, they spend money in the industry each step. Right. The, the average person steps in the industry and goes, you know, I just want to, I don't know, a 2276 turbocharged daily driver, nothing special. <laughs> right. <That's laughs> I want 60 miles to the gallon and 400 horsepower. Can you make that happen? And because of that, I feel that it's great because you got these, you know, let's just say a big chunk of money comes in to the industry, but at the same time, you don't have 10 little chunks coming in. Right. So not as much of a ladder system or just a growth of support. And the majority of people are just passing go and going straight to boardwalk. Right. And it's, it's because I, I feel it's hurting the industry. It's hurting our industry. Uh, the drag races, he is a good example. The moment we started seeing uh, a strength in the really fast classes and not in the up and coming classes, it's the first sign that, Hey, if we don't start working on these lower classes, there's not going to be any stepping stone. And it's just going to go straight towards, you know, broke. And when they do break or if they crash a car or something stupid, next, you know, they're gone for two to five years. And it's it's the whole, at that time it's hurting racing scenes like that. And I see it in our industry. It's the same thing. And I love helping building these guys, big horsepower, but, in the long run, I can see that, uh, it's hurting the, you know, our industry as a whole. And so based on that, I've seen you've diversified your platform. The first time that I come across low bug, it was when you were doing a traction bar and some other things like kind of what, what kind of started putting you on the map. And then you got real hot and heavy into the turbo setups. So being around Berg and Simpson and all those guys, most of those guys are carburation guys. A lot yep. of those guys are, are prefer car. Everybody's like 48s and all that kind of stuff. How do you make the jump against the current and go turbo? So what was yeah. how, how do you get down to that point? At what point did you discover crack, basically? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, at Berg, it was purely, you know, DCNFs and IDAs and stuff like that. And at that time, I was doing Cadron stuff. Uh, really big into Cadrons because it was a simple carburetor. I was really poor. Um, even though I worked there, I was working, I don't know, I was working two shifts actually there at that time and, um, was trying to go to college and I was financially strapped, but I have to admit, I wasn't a drinker. I didn't do drugs. My drug was at that time was racing. I truly wanted to get into road course racing and was trying to. And when I started working at Berg, I thought that's going to be my leap into that. But the problem was everybody at Berg was a drag racer. So I started doing drag racing scene. And I got hooked. It was fun. I'd drive the car down the track on the weekend, race it two days of the weekend, come back, go back to work. And Monday through Friday, did it over and over. And went to Fred's, more of the same thing. The only neat thing is when I worked at, at Performance Tech, that was the heyday of, I like to say, the PRA. That was when Crispy Betts was there, Danny Vaca, um, Sean Gears. Uh, I mean, all the top guys were basically competing at that time. So it was neat to see the fastest guys of our, of that generation, just, you know, duking it out. Uh, Andy Costello was doing it. Um, it was really fun to see all that. But and then when I started working with, uh, Jeff Denham, Jeff was the first one that turned me on and I give him all credit into turbocharging. And we started 
you know, we kept talking about, it. he kept saying, oh man, we should build you a turbo car. Cause I was daily driving at that time, my race car. Yeah. He said, oh, we should uh, build you a turbo car. We should do a turbo motor. We should do a turbo motor. And I'm like, turbo. Really? I mean, I just don't, aren't those things unreliable? I mean, God, it, really? So it was one of those things I said, you know what? More think about this. If we built this, I could help us sell this thing. I think, I think people would want it. So we designed one. And I admit, 99, I was the guy that ran and got tools for him at that time. I didn't know anything about it. He was the genius in it. We built the first header, which I still have that first header here in the shop on display. Uh, Built the first turbo system, put it on my 1600. We dynoed it on his little dyno, and it made 100 and, I think it was 114 horse at the flywheel on, I think it was like 14 pounds of boost. And that was the 1600. 1600. And we poured some of that uh, octane booster. I remember we're like... (laughs) And we're just like, let's just let it go and see what it does. And once we heard detonation, we backed it off. And um, I drove that thing for, I don't know, a year while I worked there. And I fell in love. I was hooked. I mean, I was racing Mitsubishi Eclipse and guys. And, uh, <laughs> it doesn't I matter. Oh, you, yeah, I can you, get all the of them. I had them. Yeah, you, and, you, uh, get, you get a turbo car and all of a sudden everywhere you go, light to light is a drag race. That lady in the minivan oh, wants a piece. <laughs> <laughs> I think I went through three transmissions and two or three 1600s and, oh, I was beaten. But, uh, I mean, I was, I was hooked. And when I left there, I kind of went to Jeff with the idea of, hey, I'm, you know, even though I'm leaving, let's build these. And he kind of had a different approach to, he didn't want to do it like I wanted to do. I wanted to mass produce it. He wanted to do have a customer send a car and then he in- install it type of thing. Right. It's built it that way. And it kind of do one at a time. And I couldn't foresee, I couldn't see the money in that. I just didn't see it. And so when I was going out and I said, well, if you don't mind, I want to offer it as a kit. You offer it as an install. I want to offer it as a kit. I think the kit's better. Right. And so I pursued the kit way. He pursued the install way. And I've been doing kits ever since. And of course I progressed with my own personal motors and you learn stuff and you try stuff and you hear a bunch of knowledge out there. Yeah. Uh, I, I've always catchphrased the saying that uh, uh, my mother's cooking is the best. Uh, you hear that a lot in this industry where everybody claims this is a way to do it. This is all they know. And because of that, it, they preach it as if that's the only way to do it. Sure. And then when you experiment and try stuff, you start to realize that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's only done it one way and that's all he knows. So, um, I kind of went down one direction and just started going continuously. Mine was daily driving. I, I, I helped drag race guys. I've always helped all the time. It's just, I felt that the daily driver scene was more, I don't know. Um, not that it was more lucrative or money or something. It just seemed more fun. I yeah, kept they, me in with everybody. They, they deserve a little turbo car on the street to really experience the fun because I mean, if you got a little 1776 stock heads and all that kind of stuff, bolting on a turbo is going to be your probably least expensive way to get you some horsepower right now. And the great thing about this, I could go to 10 different shows and see all these different people and do all that, talk to people for hours. And we cruise along in these cruises, go down to the beach and just doing all the stuff in our car, just having a blast. Or like you go to a drag race event and we sit there and talk and we watch each other's car go down the track for, you know, 10 seconds. You're right. And it was, it, uh, the, I don't know, the gratification was just not the same for me. I really took it. Now, don't get me wrong. 
I'm a power junkie. I love drag racing. I, I swear I'll kick anybody's butt. But at the same time, I love my street car more. I just yeah. have more. That's where the fastback comes into play. I just got hooked with it. Yeah. That's so the first. I, I got that because it's a comfortable car. Yeah. Type I, threes. I got, We've had the conversation on this podcast for about type threes probably being the best driving Volkswagen, you know, the, the widest platform, the best feelings, got the good, nice road grip feels like, uh, essentially a real car. You know what I mean? And, uh, and that's what we've really, you know, kind of discussed in the past on this podcast with some other people when you talk about type threes. And so your, your goal getting into the turbo setup was to bring like affordable power to the every man with your 1600 T kit, right? That was the first yep. kit you had. And that 1600 T kit goes up to, a 2054 is that is that what it goes up to just about uh, a two liter pretty much yeah basically you it depends on the combo everything is not like a written rule because if you have a combo that's a relatively low compression small head small cam application you could still use a small header i notice but if you're asking kind of a little bit if the guy's gonna be more of a hot rod guy I, i'm gonna lean them towards a larger header things like that uh it just depends on the application itself now You've done the 1600, the, the 1600T turbo kit. What's the next step up kit from that? Uh, like the 2000, 2000, I call it 2000T or TS kit. Okay. Uh, typically, that's for the larger motors. Now you're getting up into the two liters. Mm -hmm. So when you're getting up into 2110s, 2276, 2332, and so on. And, and all the turbo setups you do, you do specifically dry, draw through turbo setups. Yeah, I, I was taught draw through. And right. people, always, people always go, why do you only do draw through? The main reason was I couldn't get the blow through system to fit and still look good. It was, it had to be aesthetics. That's part of the deal. Right. Um, you're selling a kit. I wanted it to, when you lifted a deck lid, it to look like something Volkswagen produced. Sure. I wanted the part to look at home. Uh, I try to make pipes mimic each other and follow each other. Um, lines go down, use certain materials, just things like that. So it looks more factory. So when the guy gets it, he puts it on his car and he gets done. He's like, this looks badass. I mean, I don't want him to go, yeah, it looks good. It's just, it looks like a can of worms. There's pipes going there and pipes going. There. I don't know what the heck half this stuff is. I sure. didn't like that. And I like the draw through. The other reason for the draw through is simplicity. Everything you know about tuning a carburetor still crosses over. So you suddenly don't have to know, understand atmospheric pressure changes or rising, re rising rate fuel pressure regulators, things like that. And because of that, it was more simple for the end user. As I always say, it's kept me off the phone. Nice. More. So, right. And so how many turbo kits, uh, turbo kits, motors, how many think, how many do you think in the past so many years, uh, have you put out there? Uh, I would say probably about 150 kits minimum and motors, probably about 350. Wow. Not too many. I mean, those shops have done probably 10 times that amount. Sure. Um, I mean, I probably only do 20 to 30 motors a year at the very most. Um, turbo kits, I probably only do, I would say, oh, 20, same thing, about 20 to 30. So now let's talk to, let, let's talk about if I've got, uh, we got a listener out there. Let's say a guy's got, uh, you know, street bugs, something he bought, decent. And he wants to say, you know, he, he's not really sure. You know, like most people, they don't know what the motor is. So they just say it's an 1835. And then, uh, you know, he bought this car, runs good, doesn't smoke, seems to be decent. In your opinion, his best bet to get some good punch in it, to make it fun to drive, and then not to break his wallet, 
would you advise or suggest for him to get a little turbo set up, put on a little 1600T turbo under decklid setup and kind of put, if the motor's healthy, check the compression, check it out uh, and run that on there? Or w- what's your advice to that, to the guy listening who's thinking, man, well, how affordable is it for me? And is it something that's pretty easy I could do myself, all these things? Well, the biggest thing I always tell everybody is don't get too blinded by the horsepower at the end. Um, there's a couple things you've got to consider. When you go to a turbo, you understand it's not like a carburetor motor where if i'm sending you parts to make 125 horse all you get is 125 horse that's it whereas a turbo the end user has the option to turn it up and i don't know about you i'm a power junkie i'm going to turn it up i I always crack the joke it's like you just bought a brand new corvette you're driving it off the lot and here comes a salesman comes running out and he goes "Oh, oh i forgot to tell you there's a knob on the dash and if you crank it up it increases horsepower yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm reaching for that dang thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even out of the parking lot, and I'm cranking it up. I got to know. It goes to 11. <laughs> yeah, and because of that, it's hard because people ask me all the time, hey, can I put a turbo on my stock 1600? And I literally tell them, the honest answer is yes. Now, the flip side to that, will it last? Most likely not. Um, the biggest problem is you as the end user will turn it up. The other thing is with the blinders of horsepower, you forget about everything else around it. Clutch, transmission, stock training ain't going to hold a stock 1600 turbocharge. It's going to spit it out pretty quick. Um, a fuel system to feed this. Can't use a stock fuel line. I mean, you might be able to, but you're kind of pushing it. Sure. Uh, oil cooling, along with horsepower or energy comes heat. Direct correlation, can't get around it. Right. Uh, knowing that, you have to accept that and not forget about that. So you got to add external oil cooling. Uh, typically, a filter is a good idea. You know, stock Volkswagen with that screen on the bottom of the sump, this type of stuff that thing catches, it's too late, you know, basically. Yeah. That, that's for catching big chunks. <laughs> Turbos don't it, like those big chunks. <laughs> right. If it's in the screen, it's already over. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's too late. <laughs> it's so making you, noise now. So you're, so you're suggesting that people probably, if they're looking to build some power, if they went through and beefed up a smaller motor – they could beef up a smaller motor and let's say, could they use stock heads with a turbo setup, change the cam, stock heads, rebuild the bottom end, make sure it's all good and solid, put a beefier transmission in it. I mean, really, ultimately, with power, you can go anywhere you want to go. The nice thing I think <coughs> about the turbo setups, from my personal opinion, I've had a couple different turbo setups on my cars, on my street bugs, and I enjoyed the draw throughs the best. I have an EFI setup and then I have, you know, I've got a popular company EFI setup that never really satisfied me with the way that it started and ran because my, my attitude was like, well, I had a side draft DCOE setup on a car and I used to turn the key. I had to, you know, I'd pump the throttle and took a little time to get it down to the intake plenums. But once it got down there, the car started, ran and idled. And, you know, now I got this super expensive EFI setup and I crank it and it pops and it makes all kinds of noises. And, 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 you know, so I've gone both ways, but I really like the, the draw through setup. I like the way uh, it sits under the deck lid. You know, the one that I had, I mean, I had an old turbo city, an old turbo city setup, and, uh, 
you know, that thing was, you know, was one of those things where, you know, VW guys, we were horse traders and get kind of cheap sometimes and, and things come around and you get some trade deals and you're like, ah, oh, I had a little 1914 with like eight and a half to one compression. I bolted that on there. Thing was a monster to me about a turbo. In my opinion, you don't have to wring its neck to feel the power. Yes. You know, anybody, that, anybody that knows me and my cars, you know, my, you know, my buses, which if you look in the background, there's my two buses. I like to go big type fours. Why do I like big type fours? Cause what do you feel? torque right yeah you, you know as push, pushing a brick through the wind it's nice to have a lot of torque one day i'd like to turbo one of my two point you know 2.3 liter type fours and yep. see how see how that would feel you know keep the motor to 5500 rpm but have that nice grunt where it just rips you know rips the tires rips the tires off with barely cracking the throttle but that'll come one day but right now uh love the look of your kits the price looked affordable so what does what a kit run from you it goes from what range to what range so the the kits have uh morphed and morphed and morphed and they've become kind of their own entity uh, uh, separately i i've got to the point where i've replaced parts more and more and now i supply more and more parts with the kit just to make it a little more simpler to install sure um, the idea is for the guy who's out in the middle of nowhere and just wants to install it he doesn't have to keep running back and forth to you know an auto parts store to get stuff to complete it i never liked the idea of that um, so the basic kit that I do is the most common one is we call it the drag race off-road, mm -hmm. which is the drag race style header, the most traditional looking header. Everybody kind of knows them. Um, several different retailers sell that style header. Um, the main difference I always say about like our header and other shops headers, we have a made in 16 gauge where most of the shops have made in 18 gauge. So ours are a little more thicker. They got the three eighths laser cut flanges. They're double welded. Uh, I do supports on them, uh, things like that. And then we do the ceramic coatings like normal. Um, but that's the drag race off-road, which is uh, header, turbo, boots, clamps, nuts, bolts, uh, your wide pipe, uh, your exhaust pipe, anything you want to do on the exhaust, I'll make it. Wastegate pipe, you know, as a lot of people see in kits when I post pictures or stuff up on Facebook. You also the time uh, the, um, the customer will give me the freedom or I'll talk to them, hey, what do you like? What do you want to see in the exhaust? What would you, oh, I'd love to have the exhaust go down and wrap and come out the center. No problem. I kind of like your idea there. I, I hate it when somebody goes, just make a 90. It's like, all right, dang it. You know, yeah. I want the artistic a little bit. I want people to look at it and go, is that one of AJ's kids? Is, is that one of his? Because it kind of looks like, it's like, yes, I want that. I don't want it to look like a cookie cutter or like somebody went to a local muffler shop and just cut a U-band, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Some so, of them look, look pretty rough around the edges. And I like the, a little more artistic, like somebody spent some time a little bit on it, but, um, that's the drag race off road. Then I do one that's, I've always said is for the Manx style cars or the Baja style. It's or sand rails, open engine compartment. One, mm -hmm. uh, that's what I call the Manx off road style. And that one sits a little bit further back and lower, uh, in the pipe sit up higher for more ground clearance. Um, the first one I was talking about the drag race off road. I think that one's, uh, what is that? I think it's twenty one ninety nine. Okay. You would think I would know these prices and I don't. <laughs> I ramble stuff all day long. And I think it's twenty one ninety nine for that. And then it makes off road one, I think it's twenty two ninety nine, I believe. So it's like twenty three hundred bucks. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Um and then we get into the sedan kits. The newest kit, which it's it's kind of perfect opportunity, I'm doing is a blow through header system. Oh um, really? which is basically a, 
it's going to mount it in the traditional down lower left-hand side of the underneath the apron like most people you know get headers uh same thing i'm making them out of 16 gauge not the thinner gauge uh, i'm doing uh smaller pipe diameter and smaller main pipe and i'm mounting my wastegate off of the main collector so it's going to actually uh relieve there off of all four pipes but that's the newest one i'm doing which is for basically for our uh, blow through phytech systems that we're doing oh, so no, it's going to so be one whole kit so now you're transitioning into a blow through setup from the drop through yeah, setup always, i've always offered blow through and i i do the most of the time the manx off road one I do that in a blow through for customers, but um, not as much, not as much. Most of the time, the people just want it to all fit underneath the deck. This sure. is to allow me to still make it fit underneath the deck, but also do a blow through. Um, the main reason for this is so that now I can incorporate intercooler into some of these applications. Uh, what am I doing this with the buses? And what type of difference does the intercooler make? Well, your biggest problem we start to run into, and uh, my customers that run E85 have seen this problem, is inlet air temp. Uh, when you start compressing air, it heats up. And the problem with the draw-through system is there's nowhere to incorporate an intercooler. And you really don't want to push air and fuel into something that big because it, sure. it backfires. you got a bomb, basically. Um, so on the blow-through systems, it allows you to incorporate intercooler. You're only shoving air through. So that's kind of the neat thing about it. The downside, typically, with that is where do you put this stuff? In the back of our little triangle-shaped engine compartment, we don't have anywhere to put an intercooler. Right. So I've been trying to design, and I think I've gotten it down, an intercooler that actually goes underneath the car, but still effective. And that's the biggest problem we've been trying to get around with the blow-through system. Uh, I have it for the buses. I have not adapted it yet to bugs and the gears and so on yet. I'm trying to make it sort of fit in the torsion area. So so my other question was on the the, the, the two main turbo kits, you had the off-road street, but that is the off-road street one that's not designed to run a deck lid or the yeah, off-road drag race. That's on no deck lid. So your first exactly. under deck lid kit is which kit? Is that the, do you still make the 1600T kit? So those I, I tend to do in batches and I'll do like four or five at one time. Uh, I'll do it one at a time, complete start to finish, and then I'll build another one, start to finish, like that, basically. And yeah. I do this in usually about five or six at a time. Like right now, I think I have 12 on order, so I'm, I'm at the point now where i got to do a batch. So I'm going to probably do like five or six here in the next couple of weeks, which instantly chunks out, fills a bunch of orders, gets those out of the way. And then usually about four or five weeks after that, I do another five. And then uh, what's the what's the timeline? Somebody wants to somebody calls you up, orders a kid. What's the timeline turnaround? So normally this is the part that always bites me in the butt. I always I always hate saying this because it's half the time it's not true or not. Unfortunately, with go long, go life, long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, things in my life going on last year with personal things and stuff going on. I, I feel bad because I was getting so good at getting these things out in a normal time schedule. And then now I'm just, I'm so swamped and behind. I'm catching up, but it's just, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. um, so normal timeline on these is usually about, oh, about five to, I'd say eight weeks. That's normal. And the biggest thing is, I always tell everybody is, I don't just do turbocharging. I do a lot of motor stuff, a lot of heads. Uh, and of course, I'm a, I'm a sucker for tech. So right. you call me up and you have tech questions, I don't turn you away. I'll sit there and talk to you for an hour and a half. Uh, and you won't spend a dollar with me, and that's okay. It's just, I've always been the type that, when I got in the industry, 
you might know the big wigs that were in our industry, you couldn't get information out of them. Yeah. They did wasn't that voluntarily. No. And because of that, it was it kind of sucked. So I've always been the type that, hey, I'm I'm walking the path in front of you and I'm turning around and telling you there's a hole right there. So you can either listen to me and avoid the hole or ignore me. It's your choice, but at least I'm offering. Now, when I was starting to get this, it just wasn't the same. So I have a tendency to talk too much on the phone. I <laughs> I tend to wear people out. I get to the point where the customer's like, uh, okay, okay, okay. Well, thanks. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks. You know, I'm like, uh, like I want to keep talking to them almost. Um, I'm still a um, enthusiast. Yeah. You know, I, I'm the I'm on both sides of the counter, I guess you could say. Yeah, without without question, it shows. And I think I see it a lot in what you're doing now, especially with, you know, let's talk about the transition that you made into the EFI stuff. You know, um, EFI, obviously, VW's came stock with EFI. There's the stock crew that, like, if they've got a late model Type 3, they all work on getting their EFI stuff all dialed in. And I guess it's one of those things, like, if you know it, it's great, it's reliable, it's good. And then most 95% of us buy a, a type three, we reach in the engine compartment, grab all that stuff and throw it over <laughs> our shoulder and go get a set of, I just did that. I just bought a 914 recently and it had all EFI set up on it. And I thought, okay, I'm going to spend one day trying to get the EFI set up. And I yeah. spent one day and I was like, nope, like this is gone. That's gone. This, like all these pieces are like wiggling and things are, I was like, no, I, yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got you a shelf in my, yeah, I got a shelf in my garage with four sets of carburetors on it. And so I just took a set of 40s, threw it on there, got the thing fired up, and then, you know, found that it had a suck valve shocker. And so, uh, you know, either way, I've got a, a bunch of core motor stuff. But, yeah, the, 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 the EFI setup, everybody wants, you know, we all drive – most of us drive modern day cars. We get in these modern day cars and they're so reliable, so um, dependable that we're used to getting in, turn the key and driving it. And, and, and the part that shies us away from driving our Volkswagens and really experiencing the most fun is that lack of reliability. And so, so many people, it, it was a shocker to me because, you know, I, I owned a Mexican Beetle at one time, right? Uh, 2003 Mexican Beetle. That thing, it, it, it was kind of weird because you turn the key a couple times because sometimes it wouldn't start. Like it was something with the ignition. It had nothing to do with the security system, the Mexican security system. But uh, you'd kind of reset it. But once you turn it on, you hear the fuel pump come on, you turn the key, thing starts right up. It's got, you know, a reliable full horsepower range. And I think to myself, yep. why, why can't somebody just take the – the stock Mexican EFI setup, put a brain on it, make it work and make it run good. And yep. then, you know, I also have some other cars that are not Volkswagens. I have a, a big Buick Riviera and I sold my buddy, uh, my parts car. So he took my parts car and built it and my Riviera is fun, gas drinking, gas hog type thing. <laughs> and so my buddy, my buddy took the parts car, built it, made a super nice car out of it. But then he goes and buys this Fitec setup. And, you know, the, the problem, even when I had my name brand VW turbo setup, it was like running return lines and all that kind of stuff. Just that in itself is a day. That's a day yep. right there. And so my buddy buys this Fitec setup. It's got a canister, goes under the hood, carburetor bolts right on. He's like, dude, it's self-learning. Like, it, you know, my buddy's no tech was put on a Riviera and I drove the car and I was like, man, I can't believe how smooth this drives. And so, yep. and then... I'm checking it out, and then I see you start getting into the Fitech stuff. So tell me how you get how you discover the Fitech stuff, and 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 what your thoughts are on it. Obviously, you're a backer, but what how'd you get there? Yeah. Well, first off, I'm a diehard carburetor guy. 
um, doing all these, uh, I always use the example, a good friend of mine, Toby, who has a chassis dyno, he owns a company called AED and he does all his chassis dyno and all the chassis dyno I post that's all at his shop. Um, I would be running cars on his chassis dyno and they're all carbureted. Everything I do turbocharge is typically got a Holly, you know, 350, 500, whatever, 670, whatever. And, um, he would always say to me, he goes, man, one of these days I'm going to get you into fuel injection. He goes, you'd be a guru on fuel injection stuff. I'm like, nah, I don't need that stupid stuff. I'm happy with this. And I honestly, I was getting pretty dang good at the carburetors that it got to a point where I just knew what jets to run, what to do to the carburetor. I can send it to the guy. The guy just starts it up. It runs. He goes, I didn't never even touched it. You get to a point where you're just doing that and you get a rhythm in doing that. And um, I cracked a joke with him saying that, hey, if you can make a laptop, make it so I can adjust it with screws to adjust the fuel injection, I'd probably be happy then. So like I'm still adjusting a carburetor somehow. Right. But, um, so a customer of mine called me up one day that I had built a big hanging turbo motor for street car. It loves it. And, uh, he said, Hey, um, I want to go fuel injection. And I'm like, all right, well, sorry, man. I just, I'm not the guy for you on that. I don't really do a lot of that. And he goes, no, 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 no. Here, there's this new stuff, new system out. It's from this company called fit tech. I'm a fit tech. God, I haven't heard of this place. So then uh, he goes, here, I'm going to send you a link. He goes, go ahead and order for me. I'll pay you when I get there. And this is a customer I know, and he's financially well off. And uh, sure enough, I look it up, and I'm all, Phytech. Why do you say fit tech? Oh, all right. So it's Phytech. So I research it. Seems good. I call the company up the next day, tell them what I want to do. And the sales guy there straight up told me, it's not going to work. And I'm like, well, pretty smart at this stuff. Uh, I think I can learn this pretty good. I got a buddy who does programming. The guy literally told me straight out, he goes, okay, but it's not going to work, just so you know. And if it does, there's no warranty or nothing. He goes, we just, you can't return. So I think, had it, I think two days later, this guy calls me off and goes, man, I hate to do this to you. I'm being deployed to chat. Oh, crap, you're killing me, man. I bought that eight fuel injection thing for you. I said, well, don't worry. I'm just going to stick it on my car. This thing's kind of cool. Kind of, I, I read up on it. It sounds like it's going to work. So uh, I call up the place. They gave me some tech help. Put it on the car. Uh, me and the buddy sit there one night and play with this thing all night. I'm driving around the block. We get it going really good. I call him up the next morning. I said, hey, I got that thing running pretty good. Um, but there was the sales guy said he was going to give me access to certain areas so I can do some more tuning. And this was the main guy I was talking to there. And he goes, wait, wait you're driving that thing I go, yeah it drives actually pretty nice it's pretty dang good and the guy's oh how the heck did you get that to work on a volkswagen and i said like i told you i got a guy he programs this is what he does and uh we're getting pretty good i mean we got pretty good that night figuring things out it's all pretty self-explanatory i think and uh they said do you mind bringing your car down to us so i brought it down to him it spent like three days on their dyno it went through two tanks of gas i remember um they're all V8 guys down there at Phytech. Yeah. So uh, the main guys were trying, and we had their main engineer, which is the guy who wrote the software, just happened to be in town, and he was on my car for three days, basically. And um, it got to the point where the owner there and the main engineer, they're like, tell you what, how about we just send you all the customers that are Volkswagen guys, if we get any? I'm like, that's fine. Because they're like, we're, we can't figure this thing out. They, they, they were not Volkswagen guys at all. I came down there on the one Saturday, you know, because the car would, had been down there for three days. And I could tell when I'm walking in, they already got the car on the dyno going. And it just, it didn't sound happy. And uh, I asked them, I said, man, 
something's wrong, man. How much timing you got into this thing? Because it just sounded like a rattle can almost. And the guy's all, not a lot. Only like 54 degrees of timing, I think it's at. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, whoa, what? No, no, we, we got to pull that back. Uh, really? What do these Volkswagens usually like for timing? I'm like, I'm 32, 34 max, something like that, you know? Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it got to a point where they kind of gave up on it. And they literally said, you know what? We'll set you up as like a dealer and all that. But the guy said, we're just going to send you all the Volkswagen orders. He goes, if we get anybody calls up once, you know, Volks, puts it on Volkswagen, we'll just send it to you. I was like, okay. And I kind of been messing with them ever since. Uh, I played with my car and got really good at playing with it and doing things with it. And then other customers' cars. And then next thing you know, we're putting them on to anything and everything. Yeah, and, so, um, you, you, so you have it on your, you've had on the fastback for, and what's it, give me, give me the specs on the fastback real quick. First motor was 2387. The, uh, second motor, okay. uh, the second motor was 2442. And then the third motor was, uh, 2498. The 2387, I had it on there for about a year, a year and a half, I'd say. Then the 2442, I put it on and that's the one I went on the, uh, um, 2016 Jeanberg Memorial Cruise. We drove from SoCal up to uh, Washington. Nice. Uh, which was neat because it was a 2442 Phytech injection with water meth injection. Uh, right before we went on the cruise, uh, put the thing on the dyno. It made 314 to the wheels on pump Holy gas as a driver. Uh, Holy crap. Up there, it got 24.91 or something like that miles per gallon on the whole cruise. Um, towing my little camping trailer that i got from andy kimball at one of the shows just so that uh i could camp on the trip so i my fastback was towing a trailer with a turbocharged fuel injected you know motor wow. of course uh half the people didn't understand it they look at it and go is there float balls on that thing why do you got wires coming out of it you know they didn't they didn't quite get it but um i kind of been doing that ever since and then when i put it in the big motor I started beating on it. I started drag racing it. But then I fell in love with it so much that I wanted one for my race car. So I still run the, the low buggy car. I still campaign that car and race it. And um, I'm, uh, hence the name low bugget. Right. I'm a cheapo when it comes to certain things. And it is kind of funny. Your own personal stuff when you're in this industry, you never spend money on yourself. Right. My customers come and spend money, but I never spend money. Uh I always say I'm about as rich. I, I can supersize my meals. That's about it. <laughs> so, uh, so I ended up doing was I took the manifold and made it with a V band clamp on there. So I can transfer one unit between the race car and the fastback. Right. And then I just, I just bought another harness and, and plumbed up the race car. So I just transfer it between the two. And then I just saved the program for the fastback and wrote another program for the race car. Oh, and nice. because of that, I, you know, I figured I'd never be driving both cars at the same time, so that's perfect. So then I started running out in the race car, which I learned about making those work on a racing application. Um, definitely, it. I always say is those things make me look smart as a joke yeah. because they are quite intelligent, very well thought out units. Yeah, you know. Uh, my friend had it on his car and I couldn't believe the data it gives you. Yes. And so that when I started thinking that the VW w with the VW application, do you machine bosses for fittings and all kinds of stuff? So it gets head temp and all those types of things or, or yep. how is it? Cause it uses all of that data. And I guess that would kind of come into play as to where you write the specific VW program. Yes. 
where it will use the data off the VW to make the VW run nice and crisp. A good example is uh, the temp sensor on it. It is a water temp sensor. Uh, I adapted to use an oil. And then I had to change the settings in the unit because, you know, a water-cooled V8 warm-up procedure versus a Volkswagen oil cool, it's not the same thing. So we learned a long time ago, or I learned a long time ago, that you had to start changing those things. Otherwise, the thing would sit there and run pig-rich forever, it seemed like, because sure. it never got out of the warm-up. Or it would get out too quick, depending on what it was reading. And um, because of that, you start changing those things. It got to a point where now I'm at 200... Oh, I'm over 300 now. I'm probably about 305, 310, something like that. 310 programs. Now, of those programs, I probably have 10 to 20 programs of every size motor you can think of. And each one of those is different cams and stuff like that. So over the years already of using the unit, I've gotten so many motors down that I have pre-programs for them for different cam combinations. So the great thing about that, when somebody calls up and orders one, I'll ask them a few information about their motor. And then I go to my file and go, oh, here we go. And I load that one in. And then I'll look at it and go, well, it's here. he requests a different RPM for rev limiter. He said he's, he's up in a higher elevation and this thing's got a lower compression. So I think it's going to be running a little lazy. Let's put some more timing into it. I, I do that on each one of the customer's order, send it out that way. And then they have any tech questions or anything, I help them then. So you said timing. So th- these kits, so uh, break down the kit that you sell for me. So the Phytech kit, you sell just the carburation or you try to sell a complete kit? Or, I mean, w- what's the ideal setup to get where I can call Low Bucket or Phytech VW? I can call Phytech VW and say, hey, Phytech VW, I want, I've got, I've got a, a 22, uh, 2230 Type 4. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to put an EFI setup on it, and I want this car to run crisp and nice, and send me what I need type thing. Like you, you sell—is it the whole thing with integrated with timing, or can you run it with a distributor, or give me the give me the best way you're gonna the best so, way to get the best results? So I sell in different kit forms. If you go to the website, you'll see there's different types of kit forms. Uh, it's kind of price structured, so if the person already has some of the parts. They don't have to buy my parts. Sure. Uh, they get just a unit and program or something like that. And I do sell just the units. People always ask this because I sell them sometimes this way. Just the unit with no program. So if you want to buy it from Jags or Summit, it's 795 bucks. I'll sell it to you for 795 bucks. I'm not going to program it, but I sell it the same way just to be compatible with them or compete with them. Uh, and then I sell it with programming or programming with a VW and fuel install kit. And that's kind of the difference that separates me from some of the other places is my fuel install kit is a Volkswagen specific. Um, it's based around me doing installs in cars. So everything that you would need to install the fuel kit, that's what I supply. It's not like a universal V8 install kit. Sure. That I'm like, here, good luck. I hope it works. Right. Um, so if you... It, Find that bracket with 19 different holes cut into it. Line up yeah. your holes with the number of kit that you have, and it'll work. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there is a lot of that, unfortunately, out there that's so fucking annoying for the end user. It just yeah. gets it gets old because there's people selling. Unfortunately, they're making their money, and I understand that. But at the same yeah. time, it just gets you get burnt out on that. So, so you have a, a basic, you have a basic carburation kit, like carburation that goes onto a stock manifold, the computer. What's, what's your different levels of kits in, in like a simple uh, form for people? 
Um, so the most basic one is the unit, and then I program it for you. Mm -hmm. So if you had your own manifold or something like that, that's the two-barrel unit. Uh, the two barrels are non-boosted use, therefore, like you know, regular motors, naturally aspirated use. Uh, you can't run a turbo with them; they're not set up for that yet. How uh, the big neat motor? Um, they'll support up to 400 horse of fuel. Oh wow! So, but flow is always the the thing. So airflow. So I always tell everybody, you you mean you can do it for like three liters and below use. Mm -hmm. um, it just depends on your manifold design. It's going to dictate the total amount of power you can produce. Um, the great thing about us in our industry is we're not going to outgrow these things. Um, it's not like there's a cap on it that we're going to outgrow pretty quick. I, mean, I don't know anybody's doing a 400 horse naturally aspirated Volkswagen right. uh, that doesn't rev to 10,000 RPMs. But uh, <laughs> So we have the two-barrel unit. I also do uh, a two-barrel unit on – I use a Weber Progressive-style manifold. Yeah. And then I do an adapter plate that allows me to bolt it directly onto that which gives it the stock look. It keeps it at the low. So at the top of the air cleaner, the unit is flush with the top of the shroud. So it'll fit in a stock Volkswagen, even an early Volkswagen or a Gia or a thing or whatever you want. And now you have fuel injection. The neat thing that now is out is they now have uh, ignition control built into them on the two barrels. Whereas before it was only fuel control and they had to piggyback whatever ignition you had. Now okay. it's full ignition control with fuel control. So on those, I usually uh, ask the customer, if you want to go ignition control, and I strongly recommend it because the ignition control is very sophisticated. It's, it's not just like an MSD where you just got a, hard, a hotter spark or something like that. It's actually manipulating the timing based off the throttle position, temperature, things like that, altitude, and all that, like normal. Um, so as you aggressively get in the throttle, it jumps up the timing for you and makes it more snappy and more lively. So that's two different kits. You have a kit that's just a cart like a, like a bolt-on carburetor replacement kit. Yep. What's it? What's that kit run? Uh, for the manifold adapter plate unit fuel install kit programmed, and I as I always say is unlimited tech. I think that's fourteen fifteen. Okay, so four hundred fifteen bucks. So, so under fifteen hundred bucks, and now you want to add ignition control to it. What's the, what's the ignition okay. control add to it? It's it's free for the ignition control. Um, I, so I see some. It's built in. It's, it's built, built into, into the computer, computer, but you have to you have to buy a an ignition a, like a. So yep. what do you got? Yeah, what what parts and pieces does a guy got to buy if you want to do ignition so control? That is, you have a couple different things. It it can fire off of most of the Petronics units, not all of them. I've noticed. So oh wait some, a second. So I don't have to spend five hundred bucks buying a whole new ignition setup. The ignition control will actually control the timing curve in my Petronics setup. No, so what it does is it just needs to get a signal from that. Right. And then it'll manipulate the signal and send that to the coil. Okay, so, we, so, so it gets an independent coil pack. So you got to buy a coil pack for it, like a obviously. Any like a, coil, whatever coil you're already running will still work. No, but you need like coil packs if you're going to no. do ignition control. So you can run like the old canister coil, like a Bosch blue coil. Right. Uh, you can run hot coils like an MSD, like the SS or Blaster or something like that if you want. It can control those type of coils. Um, it main thing is in order to run the ignition, it just needs to get a signal. So it takes that signal and manipulates it. And so, then okay. so it picks a signal. So you, you have to bolt something either onto the distributor or onto the crank pulley or is it, or is it a crank pulley trigger? So, so the three major options is a distributor already has some sort of copy fire protronics in it. Uh, your next one would be like an MSD distributor is always a good one. Uh, the units do have an MSD plug on it. So if you have an MSD distributor, 
you just lock it out so it doesn't advance. We don't want the distributor changing the signal. Um, and then we let the Phytech control the signal. And then it'll take it and manipulate it. The great thing about that is it's got a direct plug-in. So you don't have to splice wires and butt connectors and solder. It just so plugs if you, right in. If you have an MSD distributor, you'll plug it in and it just bol- it plugs right into your VW MSD distributor. And then yep. bypasses the advance that's controlled by the centrifugal advance or whatever the distributor was doing before. And now it's controlled by the brain. Exactly. And so the yeah. kit's... Go ahead. So, so, so that kit, does that kit get shipped, like, ready to install, loom cut to length, all that kind of stuff to where they try to make it as easy as possible. If they're doing a bus, you'll kind of want to do this. If you're doing a bug, you want to do that. So, so if you buy the units, unfortunately, if you get them from JEG, Summit, Vitek, whoever, they all come with six-foot cords right. for a V8, you know, a five-engine mm-hmm. V8. You know, mount on the motor, and then uh, you got your dash, you know, three, four feet away from there. So I take them, and in the bug kits, I give you a 12-foot cords. In the bus kits, I give you an 18-foot cords. Uh, I lengthen the power cords to the controller. Um, I lengthen the temp sensor cords based off, based off talking to you. Uh, I'll talk to you to find out where we're going to mount the temp sensor. So I have several different options of where we can mount it. And based off of where, I'm gonna, where we're going to mount it on your application, I then will either lengthen the cords or give you different types of mounts for that just to so, make so- your install so buying the kit from you, it's VW specific right out of the gate. Yes. So VW specific, unlimited tech. So your next step up kit is is what kit would be the next kit? Well, then we get into crank trigger control. That's probably the most popular way of doing it. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you start to learn more and more about these 70-year-old these motors, these Volkswagens, is they're only old technology because everything we keep bolting onto it. And when you do something like bolt-on crank trigger onto it, it suddenly brings it, kind of modernizes our little Volkswagen motor. It's amazing how much cooler they run, how smooth they run suddenly. It changes the tone of the motor. It just changes everything. Um, Nobody likes, or no motor likes a timing that's doing this. I mean, I don't know if it's your camera. Right. Oh, yeah. Show it. Here's your timing light, okay? (laughs) There you go. Your motor doesn't want to go here, 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 and then every cycle it's different. Whereas so you, you put a time you you put a timing line on a crank trigger motor and it's dead solid where the ignition is versus on a on a distributor motor you see that waver of the timing where it's yeah. a little it's a little sloppy so is that the key aspect that makes these things run like a brand new car I mean is it is it really a, a night and day difference so is the monumental difference with this kit. Sure, you get the EFI. It's going to run smooth, run good, be super reliable. You're not going to have clogged idle jets, none of that nonsense. But yeah. I'm sure you could probably still screw it up if you got some junk running through your tank. As long as you adjust the floats right. Okay. So would you have <laughs> a video? Throttle plates, throttle plates. You got to adjust your throttle yes. plates. I saw your video yes. on throttle plates. Um, or it was the AIC sensor, I think it was. the um, IAC, idle air control. I, yep. Right, IAC. But so the difference in step up and performance from bolting on that kit and then going crank fire ignition is what? I mean, like well, the, the, the feel of driving it. The main thing you notice is the car is so smooth. There's not the weird vibration. Um, I don't know about you. And no matter how badass of a Volkswagen motor you build, it's still a little rough. Right. And I've never, it's always been, oh, we just accept it. Now that's the way they are. When you go with something like a crank 
firing ignition that's monitoring off that is that accurate every cycle, you can feel the difference in the motor. You can tell the difference. Now, the weird part is when the fight tech is controlling the timing, if you put a timing light on it, it still looks like it's jumping all over the place. It's because every cycle it's making a change and it'll be advancing for a second, then retarding and it's doing this and it's controlling because it's, it's actually idle stabilization kicked in to control the motor and keep it at a, a target idle speed. And to have that balanced bang perfectly, like perfect balance. Yeah. So when you put a timing light on it, it looks like it's freaking out and you're like, going, wait, what the heck? But then if you stop and listen to the motor, the motor's going, bup, 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 bup. it's smooth as can be because it's actually changing timing every revolution or every cycle. Nice. So, so on your car, you got a couple thousand miles on this, on this, uh, setup. Yeah. And then you said you, one of the questions I wanted to get back to, um, you said you drag race with the big motor, the 29, 20, is it 2,900 CC? Uh, it's 2498. 2498. So 2,500 CC motor. Um, that's obviously aftermarket case and everything. That's like a full blown aluminum super case DPR. Uh, uh, what is that? Uh, got 88 stroke. No, no. What is that? 90 stroke. Yeah, that's right. 90 stroke, uh, 94 piston. Uh, but that thing, so, so that's a, that's your typical don't ever street drive that motor type thing. And you daily drive a motor like that, or that's, is that motor been, but that motor has been massaged to be a drag motor. What's the quarter mile time you hit in that, uh, that big giant fastback? Well, actually, the big motor was not the quick motor. It's funny, it's the 2387 was the quicker motor. Really? Uh, and the only reason why is at 2387, I would lean on that thing. I mean, I, I at one point, I ran 34 pounds of boost through that thing. Holy whereas, crap. yeah, whereas the big motors, it was always 22, 23 pounds in lower use. So the 2387 was always the quickest motor. And what's, uh, fastest I, time, what's your fastest time in that car, quarter mile? It went 1156 at 117. And this it. is a, a fully drilled, lightened, lightweight car. This is a full, <laughs> this is no. a full door slammer, steel-bodied yes. Type 3. So I Hold posted on. pictures. Type 3. This is a Type 3 yes. running 11s. And the best part about it was when we drove it to Sacramento, I drag raced it in Sacramento on street tires. It went 1209 at 100 or 1202 at 109 in Sacramento. And then when I was leaving, I went up on the scales just to show. Hey, I asked uh, at that time, Mark there, I said, Hey Mark, can I, can I put the fast back up on the scale just to show? And Sacramento had their brand new digital scales. So, uh, I got a picture of me leaning over and getting the scale weight with the car. And it was a uh, 2395 with me in the car, standing on the scales with my spare tire, my little toolbox, my two little big five sporting goods chairs and a, uh, a tent basically what, that I took with me. And what training do you have in that car? So, uh, Jim Kavorsky at Dirt Transaxle, it's a type one. Um, Jim is the guy. He's the best. Most people have ever heard of Jim. He's old school, flies under the radar, but, um, probably the coolest guy you'll ever meet. And I actually have a type one with, um, if I remember right, it's, I think it's, I want to say it's Urco main shaft, I believe. God, I don't remember. But, uh, um, but it's a type, but it's a type one freeway flyer. This is not a close ratio trans. So you're, yeah. it's, it's, I beat gear, on it too. What gear are you going through lights in? Yeah. Uh, most of the time at the tracks I'm going through in third gear, but if I'm running down the 11s, like I raced a car at, um, Sacramento in the 1190 index class. Yeah. Just did that for fun. 
I, I didn't think the car was going to be quick enough to compete in that. I wanted to go out there and support the class. And uh, the first time down the track, I think it went 11.88 right off the bat. And I was Holy like, cow. hey, cool. I, I'm in the class. I'm in the field. I'm here. And that was why I showed up. I had, I had pulled away from racing for almost three years there and then showed up with the fastback. And I won that event at Sacramento in the 1190 index. And what did those other cars weigh? Oh, they're all probably 11, 1200 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cr- I mean, that's, that's, that's mad. Like that's, but yeah. honestly, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, to be in a big, huge, heavy type three, be able to drive to Sacramento, roll up on the track, rip an 11 second pass because you're kind of putting the foot, your foot in it. And it's a big, yeah. it's a big monster motor, but nonetheless, you're telling me the 2386 was faster than that. Or was that in the 2386? And the only reason why is because the 2387, which was the one that I ran most of my racing with, that particular motor, I cranked it up. Holy I crap. Did, I just didn't. After that, I said, you know what? No more high power pulls on the fastback. Right. So I built a big motor with the idea of I don't have to turn it up and I want a bitchin' driver. Right. So I built the 88 stroke and God, just, you know, when I built the 2387, everybody's like, oh my God, that's a big motor. Well, I had a 2276 in the fastback before that. Sure. It, it was quick. It was all right. But the moment you put the 86 stroke, it's a huge difference. I mean, just the way it drove, it just drove nice. Every gear felt like the right gear to me. Yeah. And so then I was like, you know what? I wonder if it's that big of a difference with the 88 stroke in it. So I built a 2442, stuck that in there. Oh, I fell in love. And it I mean, literally, I had that motor in there for like a year and came across a 90 stroke crank. And I'm like, I got to put this in. I got to put the 90 stroke in just more love. And now tons more torques, like a V eight in the back of that thing. Because that, I mean, the thing will pull from 1100 RPM up to 4,500, like a freight train. And I love it. What are you redlining that thing at? I don't really rev the big motor. I don't rev that high. I think it's like six grand at the most. But that's what I'm saying. You're not going to rip the motor part at six grand. Most of those other cars going through the lights, they're going through at 8,000 RPM, you know, 7,500, 8,000, you know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. and, and that's part of the issue as to why some of these, like I said, you know, I, I'm sold on the big blocks. I'm, I'm a type four guy because I like the torque. I mean, my, my type four, you know, I had my type 34 Agia and that car had a 2650 type four in it pancake. I had, uh, and on the other end to give people, to, to give people that don't understand fuel injection, I had fuel injection on my type four. I started with an SDS and it, it was the one touted by Jake Raby. That was the best system to use. He shipped me my motor tune, the box, everything. It, it didn't run, it ran good, but it didn't really, I wasn't impressed. You understand? Yes. And it's a pancake motor type four, 2600. Then I changed to a Motec, the Motec setup. I could start the car without touching the throttle, like all that stuff. Difference in cost to put the Motec in that car cost yeah. thousands of dollars. You're talking besides pulling the thing out, rewiring it, changing the crank tire, the, the, the crank fire ignition, all these other little things, it ended up labor and everything was like six grand to do yeah. to do the uh, the the EFI setup and you know how hard that is to sell to someone. Oh, well, that's what I'm it's saying. It's a hard sell. And 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 a lot of people in the VW scene, they they may not understand you know kind of the value here that, that that I'm hearing about because I'm as I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm going. You know what? I, I I need to take one of my Type Fours, and I need to turbo it, 
and I need to put the Phytech on it. And I'd love to see one of my buses, you know, probably the carbon cab with a turbo Phytech setup strapped onto that 2,600cc motor and just see what that monster would do. Just torque pulls. I mean, I think that the thing already just on 44s is pushing – 160 pound feet of torque. You know what I mean? I mean, it's a, yep. it's a stout motor, but, uh, I don't know. You got, you got my gears turning because cost, well, I mean, a, a set of carbs, a set of 48 is a grand yes. 1500 bucks. Why would you, and you're going to get the same flow out of a, a properly set up Phytech. And that's a good, that's a good point you brought up is for people that are considering doing this, if you're considering blowing out and buying a bitch and set of Weber's and you're going to spend, I don't know, eight, $900 for a nice set of Weber's, good manifold and stuff like that. Then you, you might want to get, I don't know, a tack, a tachometer on your car. And you might want to get an AFR gauge so you can monitor your air fuel ratio and just get an idea how good it's running. Um, and then you might want to put a temperature gauge and stuff like that. By the time you get done, you're 16, 1700 bucks. It's all oh, yeah. sneaking up. Oh yeah. And, when it's all said and done, no matter how good you tune those carburetors, and you can get them working bitching, they'll never work as good as injection. And that's something that took me forever to accept. I was being right. stubborn. And then when you start doing it and you get the injection, the great thing about injection that's different to me is information. If you've got all this information suddenly available to you. So if you have a problem, you've got 20 things telling you what's going on. So you can look, monitor, get an idea, and make a conscious decision and not just, I don't know, let's go richer on jets. Let's try that. Let's try well, more that, timing. I don't know. I, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it saves you. It saves you. I mean, anybody that builds a motor, anybody knows that it builds a motor, you can start off doing your calculations and your math from your Venturi size to your valve size to your cam lift and all that stuff, and then kind of put the jets together and then start doing that. And you got, what, a day. If you built a motor, took it to, to, took it to a guy – the guys in the carb shops, you send them your 48s. It's $1,500 yes. to get them third progression drilled, jetted, all this stuff. And listen, people love that look. And I'm not – listen, I'm, I, I'm a, I, I have a VW problem. I the love sound. them all. Yeah. I love yeah. them all. But the bottom line is what I love more than anything, like you, the experience that I had that changed a lot of stuff for me was being on the TV show Bull Run. When my brother and I drove the bus for three weeks – it was like the most fun I could ever have because not only do I have my cool car, but I didn't just drive somewhere and park it and like, hey, guys, check it out. Like I like driving it and driving yes. the crap out of it. You know what I mean? And so that's, I think, the, the difference that that if it gets into the VW scene, it's the craziest thing because I'm sitting here thinking probably the same thing you were thinking when you stumbled on this and you thought, why isn't everyone using this? Like you want to talk about us. Yeah bunch of happy vw owners how about hop in your car and like your website says drive it from california to, to what do you say michigan on your, <laughs> I got it, it, well, exactly cross country you know so i think that's I, I think that's totally awesome i'd love to see uh you know the the, the setups catch on i mean i'm i'm I, i'm building another type 34 so i sold my last type 34 i've got another one we're going to be doing a teardown on in about two weeks and I'll do a little podcast on the teardown. I'm going to do a type four pancake motor for it, but I'd love to come up with, if possible, and we'll have to figure it out, a turbo EFI setup for it on a 2.6 liter pancake type four motor. I mean, 
It's something we could talk about. I'd, you know, I, I'd yeah. love to see what I could do. You know, Adam Wick here in town has been doing a couple. I, my first two motors are done by Jake Raby, and then I had Adam do two more motors for me. So Adam Wick's, Wick's Racing does some engines for Adam's me. Adam's a smart guy. Yeah, he, and, and, and he knows a lot of stuff. And, and everything he works on now that goes out in the off-road stuff, the LS motors, they're all all EFI. And it's like the EFI is the way Volkswagen was going in 1968. In the 2003 Mexican Beetle, they're all fuel injected. It's like fuel yep. injection. The hardest thing about fuel injection is no one knows. Most people don't understand it and don't know what they're doing. And some of the antiquated systems are, are too difficult. So I think it's awesome that you've gone this far with this EFI setup. I'm excited to see it start going through the market. We, you know, that system gets out there and the craziest part is like everybody loves the quote unquote car shows, but the most fun you have in your car is driving the thing, putting the pedal down to the ground, yeah, having it be reliable. And the tough part sure. is, you know, you build these super nice cars, the big 48s. And yeah, I mean, first time I drove my crew cab, I had 48s on that type four and I was getting 10 miles to the gallon. Yes. You know, and it's like, quick. yeah, it's like, listen, she did some monster burnouts and she pulls, she pulls tree stumps and stuff. But the reality is, it's a bummer when you run out of a tank. I mean, I ran I, my first, the maiden voyage I did in my crew cab was I drove it from Clovis to Sacramento and then from Sacramento back. And I ran out of gas about five miles from my in-laws house. who were living in Clovis. And I did the math. I'm like, this does, this just doesn't seem right. And I was like 10 miles to the gallon. This is ridiculous. You know what I mean? But, yep. uh, I'm stoked, man. I'm super pumped up about the setup. Like I said, I physically drove one in, you know, a non Volkswagen, but the different characteristic that this car had just by bolting on this fuel injection setup was smooth, silky throttle response, as much power as you could get out of it, because that seems to be sometimes the big stumbling blocks, you know, with VW people, they've, they've dialed in the ports, the, the, the head porting, the camshafts, the cranks, all the mechanical pieces they have and yeah. maybe the Achilles heel to making big power reliable is carb is fuel, fuel induction and then boosting. Because the problem is try you're, you're fighting that cycle of boost, heat, carburation, fuel yep. pressure, all those types of things. And now it sounds to me talking to you that this Phytech setup is really something that's going to take all the turbocharging daily driving type guys and take it to another level where you could realistically have 200 horsepower on tap. So yep. it's awesome that you're doing that. How many of the, how many of the fight tech kits do you, have you got out so far? Is it a hard sell um, for GW people or now it, uh, honestly, it seemed like I had to talk people into it. You know, I had to kind of give them the push. Now it's just everybody who's calling up, ordering anything that has to do with turbocharging like that. They bring it up in the conversation 90% of the time now. Uh, and they'll just ask about it. And I was taught a long time ago that it's really easy to sell something when you believe in it. The customer's not an idiot. And if you don't believe in something, it's really obvious that what you're selling is not going to work. So because of that, it makes it easy to sell these things because anything they ask me, I either have an answer for it, I've already done it, or I can tell them what they're going to get out of it. And the great thing about it is majority of the time when you're done with it and they're driving and everything like that, it's the same thing. They all say, I can't believe why isn't more people doing this? It's like, yeah, you'd be surprised. There's so much, so much easier to drive. Imagine a draw through turbo system that drove like a regular car. 
Right. And not something through, where you're like, okay, I'll meet you at the next race gas pump station. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like this thing, you get in it, you start it up. You, you don't worry about going to the grocery store. You don't worry about popping off oil lines. You don't worry about flooding the thing out. I mean, like all those worries where it's like, oh no, you got to go see the next guru, go see the next yeah. guy. You're, you're kind of taking all, which has been the, the toughest part. And, and they're stripping all that away with the technology that they have today, which I'm super excited to see because it's the part that makes VW people get kind of bummed out. It, it, anybody buys a Volkswagen, spend a bunch of money, get some of the big, nice motor. It runs like crap. It doesn't perform like it should. Guy gets beat by – I mean, I used to go out there and spank people with a 1904 with perfect tuned carburetors. You know what I mean? Like people are like, yeah. you got 48s? Like, nope, 44s. And they're like, you don't got 44s in that? I'm like, right here. I reach in, start the car with the key. You know what I mean? So, so yep. And as far as you can get – that antiquated technology. I mean, it's really carburetors are super antiquated. They're cool. We love it. You know, guys just love a carburetor. They love the look of it, the artistic aspect of it. I mean, all those things about it are great. The sound, but the reality is you want drivable daily power. You want reliability. I mean, fuel injection. Uh, listen, every car, most people listening to this that have a daily drive, it's not a Volkswagen are driving a fuel injection, crank fire ignition vehicle. And that's why they're so dang reliable. You know, it, so. you know here's a good, a funny story. So I went to, uh, we, I dynoed a, uh, 2387 turbocharged Volkswagen that had one of our, uh, fuel injection systems on it, on the Fitech systems on it. And I was telling Toby, the gentleman who operates a dyno, uh, usually I go over there and I sit in there and I sit there with the laptop and I'm doing everything and I have the dyno and everything and Toby's off building a motor or something like that. So I'm operating a dyno and he comes over and I'd been on the sink for about 45 minutes an hour. And I said, you know, what's the strangest thing that I just realized I've probably already done 20, 30 pulls, made a whole bunch of changes and I haven't gone to the back of the car once I've done everything up here. I don't even go to the back. I'm not getting my hands dirty. I'm not getting burned. I'm not doing nothing back there. I mean, as long as the oil pressure light or the light doesn't turn on, I'm just going to continue making my changes and I'm going to be done and then drive this thing off of here. Well, you get so used to going back there and crawling underneath it and pulling out jets and spilling <laughs> right. fuel and sitting there with your timing light worry about dropping the cord in the belt and dropping your wrench. And you get so used to that that when you're not doing that, you're kind of like, this is strange. Right. I, I, I'm hanging out with some strange people suddenly. I, I'm going to shows that are not within a 30 mile radius. I'm going to shows in other States right? because it's not a big ordeal now right, to hop get, in the car and just drive. I, the, the talk with me and my buddy, we go to different crews. Like obviously we just did the buses by the bridge, but uh, our big crews we're talking about is the great Canadian cruise. And that's the one we're looking forward to. People are like, Oh my God, what, get, what are you going to drive? How are you going to do that? Her, I'm going to give you a perfect example. Perfect example. I want to go to the great Canadian bug in this year. I really want to. Yep. I have a 54 foot car trailer and I'm enlisting because <laughs> you know what I'm going to drive there? <coughs> My turbo diesel Dodge yes. truck. Yes. And I'm going to haul four Volkswagens with me or something, but it's like, I'd love to drive maybe not my early buses because, you know, they're, they're not so comfortable. Yeah. If I had a nice type three, that's a different conversation. But yes. if, uh, you know, if, if I were able to get my, you know, and, and that's the reason I'm doing it. It's like, first there's the fear, the fear of the long distance drive and something's going to go out and you're going to have an issue. Yeah. And realistically, the mechanics on the VW motor are so simple. If you, if the pulley's outside, everything's balanced, alternators lined up, all that stuff. 
Those are the two big things that can go sideways mechanically. Once you've taken care of everything else is like carburetor intake leak, all those things that usually leave us by the side of the road. And if you get most of those taken care of all of a sudden, if you put that fuel injection set up on there, the, the anxiety of hopping in your car and driving it, you know, up to the, up to, to Canada is, has gone. So I, I'm, yeah. that's exciting. So you guys, you're going to drive the, the fasty up there. That's the plan to drive it up there. And then, um, I guess they have, I, I constantly hear about this drag strip that's up in, up there in Canada. That's supposed to be really badass drag strips. Let's be, I guess, really right down by the ocean. And, um, so me and my buddy, Robert Kong, he normally goes and we go on these long drives everywhere. And, uh, he wants to run his Gia up there. And I'm like, man, I'm going to take the fastback. I want to drive it up there, click off at 1199 and then drive home. I mean, how cool would that be? I mean, I, I know this guy's quicker than me. I, I'm not trying to be the fastest car in the world. It's just how many of them, you know, drive longer than an hour to right. go in the 11s. You know, most, it's not a big, it's not common for us. Now right. there is guys that are going stupid fast, but they also got $40,000 tied up into their motor. Um, I'm not that guy. I'm more of the, like I say, I'm on both sides of the counter. Although I work at a shop, I'm on the other side buying parts. I'm a customer. I'm one of my biggest customers. I buy more right. for myself than anything. Yeah. And nobody's getting rich in the VW scene. No, you know what I mean? No. Most guys do it because it's their passion. It's what they love. And the, the I, I think that the, the part that, that I'm the most impressed with is it's a full bodied car. It's heavier yeah. than most Volkswagens. And it runs 11s. A friend of mine puts on a drag race thing here in Vegas, and he's telling me most of his cars are running, you know, eight second passes and all this stuff. I'm thinking like, holy crap, that's fast. Especially in our world of VW stuff, that's outrageously fast. Yep. But if you're driving an air-cooled Volkswagen to Canada and you can click off a 13 second pass, that's unbelievably impressive. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? So uh, listen, I commend you, man. I, you know, this, this is, and this is the reason I do the podcast because there's a lot of stuff that you just can't get. By looking at a website or going on some stuff and, and having that have face-to-face conversation, which I'm, I got to tell you, man, I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed about the whole fastback just because you don't really realize the concept of it's a heavy car. That's mm-hmm. a big motor. You're driving a long distance and, and you're not afraid to drive that thing through the desert in the summertime and, yeah. and, and, and those types of things. And so because of the, the ignition timing, and all that stuff, have you found that you're not, you're not concerned about the desert, the heat, dead of summer, driving it here, there, and whatever. I mean, I've, I've seen some pretty impressive stuff on that car and, and, and now just getting to talk to you about it. I mean, I, I listen, this is awesome, man. And I, and, and I hope a lot of people start ringing your number up and, and getting these Fitech setups on because it's the way it, it is the future. It, it, it's like getting the VW scene and we fast forward 40 years. I, I constantly say this is something our industry needed. Um, it, we, it's great that we have, you know, before this, I like to say there was two major fuel injection companies out there and they work, they have their plus and minuses and things like that. And you know, from experience of dealing with them and stuff like that, they, they're, they're good. The downside is it was hard to quote a customer. Hey, they call up and go, Hey, I want a turbo system. Okay. It's uh 2,600 bucks. Uh, yeah, I'd like fuel injection. Okay. It's another $3,800. And they're like, what? Yeah. Why is it so expensive? You know, and the idea of that is like, well, that's all we got. Where now I tell everybody, uh, pick one of my turbo kits for whatever. Let's say you get the $2,200 one. You're like, well, I want to add fuel injection. Okay, you add $1,450 to it, basically. That's the price difference. So now you're fuel injected on top of that. So you're 
3400 bucks for a turbo system and your fuel injected. And can you start That's the car? Crazy. Can you start you the car the with just the key? Just the key. You never touch the pedal. So I don't know if you saw, I did a video where my daughter was in my bus and she's like, pretend like she's driving and she's slamming the pedal, the gas pedal over and over and, and, and she's doing that. And for most of us Volkswagen, people are like, you're like, oh, 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 oh you're flooding it. <laughs> but because it's fuel injected, I'm like, oh yeah, go ahead, honey, hit as much as you want. <laughs> so it's just kind of funny. And she could sit there and just do it all, all day long. It doesn't matter. It's fuel injected, you know? So. No, that's yeah. awesome, man. Well, listen, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us. Any other things that you wanted to kind of put out there, plug to the people in the podcast, just so they know what's going on. So are you going by, are you going by low bug it, low bug it, still the thing uh, you're going by Phi tech VW. There's a couple of different things. I know you got a couple of different websites that branch off to be more specific. Cause yeah. you know, you're, you're, well, I, I've always, I've always done it. So like I have, um, the low bug it sites always, I always say is a mother site and it has all the parts and everything I've ever stuff we make and stuff we do and pretty much you can purchase everything from that site uh i don't do a lot of um online ordering on the site because i want to talk to the customer sure um I, i'm the type that i talk people out of sales all day long unfortunately because they'll call up and go oh, i just want this this and this and i'll be like well that's not going to work for what you're doing you might consider this instead or so on um then there was the other idea was the uh uh VW Turbo Kits website, which was basically, I wanted to keep it separate because people would have a hard time finding the turbo stuff. They would go to Low Bucket. They don't want to buy a bunch of parts. They just want to buy a turbo kit. And so I thought, you know what? I should keep that separate. So within the Low Bucket website, you can go directly to VW Turbo Kits, or you can just go to VWTurboKits.com, and it's its own kind of entity type of thing. Nice. Then I, then I started to get more and more into AN fittings. I do a lot of uh, the AN aluminum, you know, anodized fittings and everything sure. for it. So I came out with anprofittings.com, which is the same thing. You could go there and order any kind of fitting you want. And if you're building a car or doing the plumbing system on it, call me up. I can walk you through what fittings you're going to need because I've done so many installs. You tell me what pump you got. I already know what fittings it's going to need and so on. And I can steer you towards it and build a whole kit for you. And then I draw a little map where each fitting goes. And I've always done that. And then I bag it, bag each section of the map separately. So when you get it, you get these bags that are numbered and then a, a little drawing of where each fitting goes so that you don't just get 300 fittings and you're like, uh, right. thanks, I got $400 in fittings. I don't know what the heck to do with it. So everything's laid out, and I've always done that for people to help them out. And then the most recent one is the fuel injection one. Same thing with the fuel injection. The idea there is I didn't want them to have to go through a huge website to get to something. I'm not forcing them to look at everything else. They can go directly to the fuel injection in there. And look at it. I try to put up as much information as possible. I do have more videos. I just haven't loaded them up yet on more on tuning and installing of the two barrels. Or now the two barrels have really exploded over the four barrels. Four barrels I do mostly for the turbo guys, sure. and then the two barrels is all for the just naturally aspirated stuff. Um, the neatest thing I'd say out now that I'm doing is the port injection on the turbo ones. So most draw through applications, the fuel's upstream. And yeah. it's got to travel through the turbo and go down through your T-pipe or Y-pipe and down to your end castings or plenums, whatever you got. The downside of that is no matter what kind of fuel injection you put on there, when it's it's that far away from you know the combustion area, it's lazy. It's not the most snappy and lively thing. And not only that, you got to kind of raise your idle RPM uh, so that the thing will keep fuel in submission you know, when traveling. So something that I had learned is that the uh, – 
uh, a lot of the Ford Mustang guys mm-hmm. on the forums were complaining about the LS guys, how they had Fitech had come out with these things for the LSs so that uh, they had port injection for them. And right. it had a main throttle body and all that. So the, the Mustang guys were like, oh, well, we just take the thing apart and we extend the cables and run the, line, the fuel lines, everything outside of it, and then we have port injection. And I'm like, hey, if they can do it, why can't I? So sure enough, I took my personal one, ran it, I plumbed it, did it that way, made a little blocks and everything in there, so it blocks out the ports. So there's four injectors in the four barrel. I kept two injectors upstream in the four barrel. It still draw through the turbo and all that. And then I took two injectors and put them downstream. So they're in the... Uh, in End castings? In, in castings, basically. I have plenums on my motor, but they have in castings. Now, the first thing I noticed, snappy, lively. The car would suddenly not stall. Uh, whereas before the fuel couldn't get there quick enough, basically. So you would have this problem where it would literally want to stall if you got the idle speed too low. You know, you draw through 101, you have to have, unfortunately, a higher idle speed to keep everything going. This allowed me to drop the idle down to 900 RPM, and I can literally take off from light just letting out the throttle or letting out the clutch. I didn't have to give it throttle because the unit with the IEC motor would literally try to keep it from stalling. Um, it was a totally different thing. I turned a key and boom, it would fire up. And next you know, I'm doing port injection now on the turbo ones. It's oh, wow. kind of a hybrid system. Nice. So you have fuel upstream and fuel downstream. So kind of like draw through, blow through and one now. Sure. Uh, the advantage to it is it keeps the cost down to be f- how sophisticated it is. Sure. So if you're doing a system with this, I charge 275 bucks to convert it, your unit over to port injection. If you send me your in castings, I'll weld them in there for you and give you all the fittings and the harnesses and everything for it. So it's all going to work basically. So nice. it's, it's pretty cheap to go port injection now. So um, let me, uh, so let me just clarify. So, so the, the injection is like on the end castings, like on the Mexican beetles, it's down yep. near the end castings in that location. And there's injectors up in the throttle body as well, or does the throttle body now become just the, the, the air control? So the, it's, it, I offer it two different ways. I could do it with all four injectors downstream, in other words, mm-hmm. in the in-castings. Sure. Or I do two injectors upstream, two injectors downstream. So people ask, well, why would you want to even leave injectors upstream or anything like that? The main reason why is to mix the air and fuel upstream still. There is benefits to having that atomization and that mixture up there. And you can also use the fuel to help cool the charge. It is harder to heat it up when you have more air droplets in there, basically when you're compressing right. it, versus uh, just air by itself. So one of the downsides to draw through is we're not running the intercooler. Now, we've learned water meth injection. That, that's the savior of all for all of us draw-through guys. Um, without the intercooler and something like water meth, I still keep injectors upstream, basically. And <clears throat> you still get all the performance gains and everything, the sound, the you know everything you get with the draw-through, but now it's suddenly lively, a little more snappy. Uh, nice. You get a little more benefits, basically, from and it's not breaking the bank. You're not going broke doing this system. Sure. And you could do a, if you already have, let's just say a side draft on there and you want to do a manifold with fuel injection, with port injection, with a fuel install kit, program, tech, and everything like that. I don't know. I think it's 17, you'll be like 1900 bucks by the time you get wow. done. Wow. PDAs that's, cost <laughs> that, yeah. that's, that's cheaper than the MoTeC brain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and, it's, okay. and I've had people go, well, how sophisticated really is the system? 
Uh, Fitech boasts that they're the most advanced injection system. Now, <clears throat> that's their slogan. I right. think the reason why is, and they've said this, it's their ignition control they're using. It's a very elaborate ish ignition control. It's not just a standard advanced retard and stuff like that. Uh, their idle stabilization, things like that, that they do. It's pretty dang cool to see it in motion and watch it with a timey light and everything sure. and watching it. It looks like it's freaking out, but the motor sounds so smooth. It's a trip how it's every cycle making yeah. changes, doing all that. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still a draw through TBI is a good way to explain it. Sure. Throttle body injection. Um, it's still that. So you get the ease and in the installation, but um, you get fuel downstream like a blow through, like a modern day car, basically out of nowhere. Definitely nice to drive on. I like that. Well, Gas mileage. Cool. You start leaning that baby out too. That's the other thing. Well, you know, we learned a lot. We've been on the air now for an hour and a half and it's been really a quick hour and a half. <laughs> it's like real quick. And I, and I think I've met one guy who talks more than me and that's you. <laughs> and it'll put you in good company because I like to chat it up a little bit too, man. Listen, I've learned a lot and I'm sure this won't be the only podcast we'll do. I'm sure when you come out with your next breaking technology, I want to be the guy you go to, to bring this out to the VW scene. Um, uh, I know I'll get a lot of positive feedback on this because of the knowledge and information that you're kicking out. I think it's awesome what you're doing. I love to see new life being breathed into the daily driver scene uh, yep. for some of these guys on, on the lower end that can't get to perform stuff. Uh, can't get, don't have the deep pockets to do the huge performance. But well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. I really appreciate the time you took out. I know you're a busy guy to kind of get chatting with us and let us know what that's all about. And I'm certain we'll get lots of feedback on this podcast specifically about more in-depth questions people want to have answered. This is a great forum to do it. You get right down to the guts and the nitty gritty. And uh, I'll be, uh, next show I'm going to be at, I'll be at the Octo Show in uh, Feb in february and so i'm going to be down there just kind of with the podcast just checking some stuff out and doing some things but they, they accept bay windows now don't they i don't know i it would be nice but uh i've got to take i can't my... afford a split I, I can't afford a bay i can't afford a split so <laughs> i gotta i think i'm gonna drive yeah. my, my my split window bus down there but uh, if i maybe if i like tailgate right behind you you know they maybe, might not see the windshield and everything just so. put a piece of molding across the middle of the windshield and you're in you're in bro and well, I'll put those old empty scoops on the side so it doesn't look like they're actual in the body, you know? So. <laughs> well, cool. Hey, J-Man, it's, it's definitely great to get to, to chat with you for so long to get so much information out of you. I really appreciate what you're doing for the VW scene. I think it's awesome. And uh, any parting hey, words? I have to say thank you. I know. Stepping up and doing this, this is a blast. No, it's I fun. I haven't done this. I did it a long time ago with something else. It was with the, the PRA stuff. And um, – Man, everybody was hooked on that, and it's neat to see it come back again or somebody doing it. So, thank well, you. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping this takes off. We've got a lot of people that uh, we've got a lot of episodes in the can that are ready to come out. So, uh, I, I've already been getting emails because people are like, "Hey, I didn't receive my podcast this week. What's going on?" And I dropped one last weekend, <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, I'm giving you guys two a week. What do you want from me?" But uh, yeah, you know, the VW scene's strong out there. There's lots of people, and and a lot more getting into it. We've just got to catch up not only with the fuel injection technology, but also the media in which we communicate with, with which is the podcast and things to that extent. So, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks for everything you do for the VW scene. And I'm sure I'm going to see it the next at the next VW scene. And I'm sure we got plenty more conversations to have. Yes. So hey, can I put my pants back on now? Yeah, I was just wondering. 
go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you can go get uncomfortable now and go get in your car and drive home. So, yeah. well, cool, man. Thank, th- thanks so much for coming on the show. And uh, everybody, remember, go check out uh, what, what, what are your websites again? Give me your websites again for a plug. Uh, lowbucket.com, anprofittings.com. Okay, anprofittings.com. The newest ones that I started playing around with, I don't know if you saw, is uh, the license plate stickers. 11-second V-dub, 10-second V-dub, all those. I went ahead and bought all those on the internet. Yeah. So I ordered all those. So if you can't remember any of them, just type in 11-second V-dub, and there's my website. So well, all the way down, cool. it's 8-second up to 13-second. I own them. So. And what's the next, what, what is the next VW show that you'll be at where people can come check your stuff? The, <clears throat> the next one, I think, God, I haven't really been, I've been so busy working that I haven't been paying attention, but I know there is the, I know we're already talking about the uh, show up takes place in Reading, the drag race event. It takes place up there. Okay. Uh, and then also a good friend of mine, Robert um, uh, Taylor, who owns fast fab VW, um, Robert and I are talking about the, uh, I think it's called the Descend event. Have hmm. you heard of that? It takes place in Oregon. I it's a big, it. like, event. It's a huge bus event. It's buses, vanigans, regular Chevy vans, stuff like that. Just a big camping event. And I think it's called Descend, I believe. And uh, we're talking about that. Now, that's later in the year. And then I know I'd love to be able to go to the Coos Bay one up in Oregon. That's just a beautiful event. If nobody's ever gone, but, research it find out where it's at and go to that it's just a beautiful event and then uh, i love the one up in washington uh i will probably go to uh in your neck of the woods uh kelly's show he does the barbecue yeah. one yeah. oh that's just that's just a legitimate excuse to pig out and then uh robert and i always drive out for that we drive our cars up and do that and then stay the night and then cruise back well there's one in march the lost las vegas vw club is doing the march meet here at sunset okay. park so that's what that's you when you come up to we want to do that more of that, uh, the street racing, the, not street racing, the, uh, the top 10 list you guys are doing. Oh, you guys invite us from far away. It just requires to have to drive there or something like that. We came out for one of them. Robert and I came out there. Right. We yeah. did that. And, uh, I, to give you an idea, not to link this, but Robert and I are so serious about that. When you guys were, when they were advertising that we came out the week before to watch the guys practice. We went out there and didn't let anybody know we were into grandstands just to see how fast the cars were. Because yeah. they were talking, their cars are fast. And right. we saw, okay, I don't think we have anything to worry about here. <laughs> right. The, the top the top 10 VW fastest uh, Vegas guys. Well, yeah. Well, maybe we'll get maybe we'll get some low bucket performance stuff out here and uh, make some cars a little bit faster out here. Exactly. <laughs> hey, man, appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And uh, we'll talk to you again another time. Okay. Well, enjoy, man. Enjoy your night. Thanks a bunch. All right. Bye.